Good morning. You are in line for yet another sermon about money. <laughs> and some of you may be cringing, wondering why in the world are they spending so much time? Henry gave the best sermon that I've ever heard on tithing and on giving last week. Why do they have to keep beating this dead horse? Why do they keep banging this drum? That's the attitude a lot of people have in our society of the church, of Christianity. Seems like all we're focused about is money. Take a look back in your bulletins over the last year, last five years, last ten years. I think you can count on one hand the number of sermons that have been preached about money. And not just to excuse us, because we had it last week, you've got it this week, you think you're going to have it next week as well. Not just to prepare you the way, or prepare the way for us to be speaking about this, but the topic really is important. And I believe the church generally has done a disservice to the congregations by not talking about money. And the reason is, when we consider what God has given to us and what He expects of us, if we look at the first of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt have no other gods before me. We are constantly setting up idols in our lives. Every day. Many different idols. But the one that seems to get the most attention from Jesus... And practically in our society, that idol is money and the love of money and what we do with our money and our control of our money. This is a valid topic. It's an important topic. This topic was put on Josh's heart by the Lord many, many months ago. It just happens that I'm preaching on money after... Don has given a summary of where we're at, the state that we're in financially as the church. But this is a lesson not specific to where we are as Northeast Press today. But this is a sermon that my prayer is will affect you in your life every day of how you think about money and how you think about your salvation and more specifically your God. My sermon is, You Are Not Your Own, which falls in line with the uh, sermon series that we are doing. And I have added on the line, And Neither Is Your Money. You are not your own, and neither is your money. Pastor Josh, in beginning this series, spoke very well on the principal concept that we are looking at in this uh, series on stewardship. And that is we are managers, we are stewards, we are not owners. We are not owners of our family, we are not owners of our money, we are not owners of our house, we are not owners of the gifts and the talents that we have, we are not owners of our own bodies. We are owned by God because, as that verse says, we have been bought with a price. God owns us. And God owns our money as well. I would like for you to turn in your copy of the Scriptures 
to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 follows chapter 8, obviously, and both of these chapters are well known for the topic of giving, for the theme of giving to the ministry, giving to specific donations for the furtherance of the gospel, for the care of the church universal. We're going to look at three verses primarily in chapter 9. We'll be beginning at verse 6. This is the Word of God. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly nor under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Will you pray with me, please? God, as you have revealed yourself in your word, we depend upon your spirit, the Holy Spirit, to indwell us and to guide us in our thoughts, to give us wisdom and to make application of your truth to our lives. I pray that my words and the thoughts that are presented here and the thoughts of this congregation would be honoring to you, be glorifying and lift your name on high. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So you are not your own and neither is your money. As I mentioned, Pastor Henry spoke last week, last week on giving from the Old Testament. And there is a word, we, we say it every Sunday, we talk about giving to God His tithes and the offerings of our hearts. What exactly is a tithe? I, you know, we can't go through a stewardship series without, you know, addressing that word, that concept. What is the tithe? And more specifically, am I supposed to be doing a tithe? Am I supposed to be doing what the Bible calls a tithe? Well, very frankly, up front, those of you in my Sunday school classes know, my typical answer is yes and no. (laughs) There's both sides of this issue, and we must understand what the tithe is correctly to understand whether or not and how we should be doing it. First off, the word tithe, it's literally Hebrew, and it means a tenth. A tenth is what a tithe means. A tithe is defined in the Old Testament in the law of Moses in the book of Leviticus. He talks about that the tithe, this one-tenth, belongs to the Lord, and that the Israelites are supposed to tithe to the Lord. But even before the law of Moses, we have a tithe that is being paid by Abraham to Melchizedek. He gives one-tenth of his possessions to Melchizedek. And then later on in Genesis, Jacob, after wrestling with the Lord and after seeing the promises, promises back to God to give a tithe back to the Lord. So we have it in the law, we have it before the law. Some even, some some theologians even look back at Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and look at what Abel's gift was 
And many say that, well, that probably was a tithe, which is why it was acceptable to the Lord. It was Abel's first fruits, the best of his flock. So we have this concept of being having a tithe in the Old Testament. So does that convey over, does that transfer over to the New Testament and to us today? Are we supposed to give one-tenth of everything that we get? Well, my answer to that is no. We are not supposed to give one-tenth of everything that we owe. We are supposed to give. It doesn't stop at one-tenth. If you look at the tithes in the Old Testament, there actually were either three tithes or one tithe with three different parts. But those three parts, which were supporting the priests, doing the temple work, giving money for supporting the many different festivals that were accomplished in the religious calendar for the Israelites, and then lastly, to give a charity tithe, to give to the poor, to the fatherless, to the orphans, to the widows. When you look at what that amount was, guess what? It's not a tenth. One person has said it was 23.3% of their income. Roughly just over 20%. So when you hear churches say, and pastors, and you hear us say every morning, let us give back to God His tithe, we're not just talking about one-tenth of what you have. It's a great place to start. If you need a number, if you need to get into this process of tithing, start with one-tenth. But that's where you start. And that's where the no component comes in. We do not have a specific formula. We do not have a, 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 a commandment given to us in the New Testament that says we are to tithe. In our passage, it would have been perfect. Look at verse, <clears throat> look at verse 9. I'm sorry, verse 7. Paul could have said, give your tithe and give more as well. But no, Paul says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. No, there is not a pharisaical rule and a law that you must give one-tenth of everything that you get. But there absolutely is a biblical commandment and concept that we are to give. We are to give sacrificially. We are to give for the Lord's work, specifically. Giving should not come as a topic that makes us cringe, that makes us, ooh, don't go there, I don't want to talk about that topic. If we love our God, we naturally should be giving to Him. In the, uh, one of the hymns, one of the songs that we sang this morning, The Reckless Love of God, and when I think of that phrase, it, it's controversial. We'll admit that. Some people don't like to think of the word, the concept, the idea that God's love is reckless. But when God loves us, He seeks us out. He finds us, as John Stott calls it, the hound of heaven comes and chases us down. And He doesn't care about the niceties in our life. He doesn't care about what we think is important in our priorities. The reckless love of God comes in, barges into our life, and transforms us and changes us. And it is reckless in that it drives aside all of the many things that we hold 
so dear that we think are so important to ourselves. And God just bowls them over with His love and completely changes us. That's what tithing is. It's not about money. Tithing is an act of devotion. Giving money to the Lord's work, to the church, is not about what you give, how much you give, how often you give. It is an act of worship. It is you saying, as the choir just sang, He is worthy of praise. What's the line? He is worthy of all the offerings we bring. God alone is the one who owns our money. He is the one who alone is worthy. Is, is, it's right for us to give our money to Him. It is not a way to earn God's love. Giving money to the church does not make you in better standing with God. You're not going to win His favor by giving. But instead, it is an act of devotion, an act of worship. Statistics say 75 to 90% of church members do not tithe. That means 10 to 25% do tithe. It's a broad generality. But I think it's probably true within our church even. Why don't we tithe? That's what I'd like to address in my sermon. When we look at this passage, we have basically two general principles that are given why we are to give and to give generously. The first is in the first verse that we read, verse 6. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. How do we give generously? We are to give Generously. That's what that word bountifully means. To be generous. To be overflowing. To not be stingy. To not be guarded with our wallets. Anybody that works with me, the, the folks on staff, my family especially, a word that would describe me as frugal. Okay, we can do that, but how can we do it cheaper? Do we really need to spend all of that much money on a new bed, on a new car? Is there a better way to get it for cheaper? It's the way I was raised. It's the way that I'm wired. It's a natural thing to want to save and to be cautious for the future. And I think sometimes we are cautious with our money when it comes to kingdom work as well, to giving to the Lord's work. We are so frugal that we want to hold on to and keep a hold of this money because you never know what's going to come down the pike. Look at now. Have you been grocery shopping in the last month? Prices are out of, the, out of, uh, out of skyrocket, out of range. You can't afford what you could afford a year ago. Inflation is crazy right now. And sure, it's good to hold on, to be able to, to budget what you have so that you have it at the end of your paycheck, so that you have it at the end of your career going into retirement, so that you have money for your children's college fund or for an inheritance for them. That's great. I'm, I'm not saying don't do that. But what I'm saying 
is that we tend to overemphasize. That becomes the priority in our minds. That if we give away too much, we're depleting our resources. We're running low. We are, we're, we're taking from a pile that needs to maintain a certain amount in order to give to the church. I don't want that amount to go down. John Calvin has a quote on this I'd like to share with you. John Calvin, I believe it is on the screen. It'll come up in just a moment. There it is. God everywhere charges us to help the necessities of our brethren, but He nowhere specifies the sum. That after making a calculation, we might divide between ourselves and the poor. He nowhere binds us to circumstances of times or persons, but calls us to take the rule of love as our guide. Calvin is saying there, God doesn't give us a specific amount or a specific time. He doesn't even set it up for us to see a potential need, as you've heard Don talk about the need of the church. Well, we're hoping that that will motivate you to tithe regularly. But what Calvin is saying, it shouldn't even be based on a particular need. It should be a normal, frequent, regular act of your life that you are giving to the Lord from the area of your life that's very important. Money is very important. Calvin is saying, that it is not based upon a particular need, but instead we are to use the principle of love. We are to give generously, and then as well we see in the next verse, we are to give cheerfully. We should not be limited by a mere 10%. We should stretch ourselves individually. And as Don said, we corporately are trying to stretch ourselves to getting to 20% of our budget given to missionaries and to mission work. And we should do that personally as well, individually. But it's not just generously, but cheerfully. And Paul gives some negative parameters too. He says it should not be done reluctantly, nor should it be done out of compulsion. In other words, you should not be giving because somebody sitting next to you or in the pew behind you sees a $100 bill in that offering plate after it goes by. That's not why you should be giving because it's expected of you. Your giving, as generous as it may be, should be done out of love for God and love for His people and love for the world that they might hear and believe the gospel. We are to give generously. We are to give cheerfully. That's the how. The why of giving generously, of giving cheerfully, the why is found back in that first verse. Because you will reap. He gives, Paul gives the analogy of a farmer sowing seed of throwing out the seed. Do you remember the parable of the sower? He's throwing seed and it falls on the roadway. He falls on the rocks. It falls in good earth. It falls in the weeds. 
the sower could have purposefully been planting those seeds in the good ground. But instead, the way a farmer works is he sows the seed. He casts it out. And that's what Paul is bringing to our attention in this illustration of a farmer. We are to sow bountifully. In other words, we don't have the privilege of saying, oh, I'm going to put a seed there, and I'm going to put a seed there. No, we're to sow, to distribute, to give it, and let God do the work. Let God bring about the results of a seed that falls in good earth, that grows belief in the heart of a sinner, that increases the amount of faith in an individual, in a person who is going through hardship. God is the one that accomplishes those things, not us. Our calling is to simply sow and to sow bountifully because we know that we will reap. Now, when I say we will reap, do not confuse me with a prosperity gospel preacher that says if you write out a check for $100, you're going to get $200 back in a year. That is not what I'm saying. That is not what God's Word is saying. Instead, when He talks about sowing bountifully so that we will reap bountifully, what is it that we reap in giving? What is it that comes back? It's not glory for ourselves. It's not position or right standing before God or in the church. No, what comes back is faith. People believing initially, getting saved. People growing in their faith, becoming mature. This is what we reap. We reap what God wants. God wants growth. God wants people alive that are walking in the footsteps of Jesus. When you give your money to the church, that's what you're sowing. You're sowing for the work of the gospel to be accomplished in Colombia, in Egypt, in Thailand, in Nicaragua, all over this world is what you are sowing for. And the reaping does not come back to you personally, but it comes back to the kingdom. That's the how we are to give. That's the why we are to give. Lastly, I'd like to look at the grace of giving. In chapter 8, Paul refers to giving without ever saying the word giving. He says in verse 6 of chapter 8, Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you, the Corinthians, that Titus would complete this act of grace. Giving is equated by Paul as an act of grace. We receive so much from God, right? That's the acronym. Most of you are familiar with grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. You've heard that, that saying about what grace is, how God has shown to us undeserving sinners salvation, love, redemption. We have received so much as we pray, pray in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. He provides for us. And look around. Don't just look around. Look down at the clothes you are wearing. 
God has provided for you so well. You are rich. You may be struggling to pay your bills, but you are rich compared to the vast majority, not just of American culture, but especially the world's population. You are rich spiritually. You are rich financially. God has shown us grace and Paul is encouraging the Corinthians, and I believe he is encouraging you and me as well, to be gracious in our giving. Giving is an act of grace. It is worship of God who has bestowed so much upon us, but it is as well grace shown by God through us to other people. We are to be generous. We are to be cheerful. We are to do so because of what we will reap. But let me end with this thought. Why? Again, why are we to give? It's not about money. It's about your heart. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, said these words, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What you love the most, that's where you're going to spend your money. When I was in middle school, you know, you've got puppy love and it's, just a focused attention on that one girl for young men. It's just pleasing her, trying to win her attention, much less her devotion. And the most extravagant way that I could think about it was heading down to Cabin John Mall to the Hallmark store and looking for that exorbitantly priced necklace of a heart at $7.99. <laughs> you know, it's a middle schooler, it's limited allowance. But that was a big deal. And it was all about how can I buy this necklace? How can I get this, this bracelet for the girl that has my heart? That's the attitude that God wants from us. What do you love the most? Who do you love? If you love God, it will be displayed at, by your giving. Back in chapter 8, again, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he says this in verse 8, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness, by the zeal of others, that your love also is genuine. That you have true love. That you have an authentic love. Paul knew, Jesus knew, if we're willing to give what we hold most dear, if we are willing to turn that back over to God, that's an illustration. That's an example that shows what we truly love. The very next verse says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich.
Paul uses the example of Jesus Christ. The best example, the best illustration that can ever be given in any kind of sermon is to point to Jesus. Jesus left the riches of heaven and humbled himself, took on the form of a servant, became man, and died for you. Does that not deserve your devotion? Does that not deserve your love and the example, the, the, the result of your love is giving of your finances? God says, I own you, which includes your money. But the beautiful thing is it doesn't stop there. He says, I want you. And I want your money. Not because God needs it, but because that will prove the genuineness of our love to God. My prayer is that you will consider tithing as a regular part of your worship, as a family, as an individual. That giving to God would be done not out of compulsion, not grudgingly, not, okay, here's my check. Now we make it easy for you. You can do it online. You can do it with a credit card. You can do, put it in a plate. You can do it so many different ways. The important thing is not when or how you give, but that you give. For while the tithe may be an Old Testament practice, the concept is extremely important and commanded to us to give back to the Lord. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, we give thanks to you that you are a God who knows us, who knows our frailties, our predispositions to love money, our possessions. But instead, Father, you call us to be stewards, to use what you have given to us for your glory, for your benefit, for the sake of your kingdom, that the gospel may be heard, may be preached, may be believed. God, I pray for each one in this sanctuary, for those that are watching on the live stream. I pray for our church as a whole, that we would not be grudgingly give to you. That we would not be reluctant, but instead give generously, bountifully, and cheerfully. For Father, we expect great things from our giving. We anticipate a moving of your Holy Spirit by our meager little tithes that we give, as small as they may be. Father, you can do great things with them. Change our hearts. Give us an attitude that is devoted to you in every aspect of our lives. We pray in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen.